to Freshly Squeezed True Crime. A comedy podcast based off of the shit that happens in Florida. Hi, Renee. Hi, Sue Haley. <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I don't fucking know what the beginning of this goddamn episode is going to sound like. Well, everybody else is going to be like two seconds in. We're three minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying for three minutes to do an intro that we've done how many other times? I mean, we always mess it up. So <laughs> right off the bat, I have to apologize to any background noise you might hear today because Sue Haley brought her dog this weekend because her husband's out of town. And so normally he watches the dog while we record, but the dog is here. My dog is so happy about it. But right now they're both sitting right outside the door <laughs> where we're recording because both of them have separation anxiety. <laughs> but a bunch of creepers. So at any point, if you hear Pitbull fighting... We apologize that you had to hear that. Some door ramming, all those things. They're going to do it all. Yes. Sniffing under the door. Yeah. And, they, and your dog is like, <laughs> wow. I know. She's like, like learning how to breathe with every breath. Three years into her life. <laughs> I have to remember to breathe. I, I have to remember to breathe. Okay. So my dog, like her owner, is very antisocial and just likes being at home. She has been so happy to be here and she loves me. Except she doesn't know how to, she's so excited she doesn't know how to breathe. So twice now she's going <coughs> I am not cutting that out. That is going to be forever <laughs> recorded. And I thank you for that moment. <laughs> It's my new ringtone. Okay, great. It's my new text tone for you. God, that's great. That was better than when I fucking made the drop a deuce noise. This is my favorite episode yet. It's so bad. And then it's like she lays there and like tongue fully exposed. She's trying to catch her breath and here comes your dog. Cuts to just menace her again. So not all it's fully exposed with that dog. <laughs> You leave her vagina out of this. I don't think I spoke loud enough for that to pick me up, so we'll see. I gotta remember to stop mumbling shit on this, because the <laughs> mic is not picking up, and I'm like, but that was a good mumble. Oh, I didn't know she was gonna get in here as soon as she got to this fucking house. Did you see her cuddling with mm. me on the couch that she's not allowed on you know at your house? You know, I appreciate it. Your husband, when you get back home and she's all over the couch? Probably one. Sorry, babe, I'm not sorry. Two, uh, mm. your fucking dog was like, um, what the fuck is up with this shit? I know, you were so jealous. Did you see when they were yes. both standing on me? Yes. On the couch. Yes. And then my couch already is the devil sinking because it in. sucks you in. It's sinking in and you can't And then can't when get you turn it back up, she was all up in your face. But I couldn't get off the couch. <laughs> I thought I was just going to be there for the night. We weren't going to record. I was just going to be there with the dogs. Just bring out the microphones to the living room. That would have been such a bad episode. Noise. I yeah. know. Echoey all over the place. I feel like once I hear everything on the computer, it's not echoey. And once it hits my podcast player, it sounds echoey as shit. But that's just it. It's like you were making, you made a comment about my leg thumping. I've heard the episode twice and you can't hear it. Oh my god, while I was editing, it was nope. The whole Alicia didn't episode. Jamie didn't hear it. I haven't listened to that episode on my podcast player yet. I've listened to it twice. You cannot hear it. Okay, good. Because it was on the I use Audacity, so on Audacity through my headphones, it was the whole nope. episode. Good. Okay, so anyway, 
let's start our episode. <laughs> I guess. You want to ask me, did we still, are you ready to squeeze the yeah. juice? Do we still do that? But we weren't doing it during the minis. Okay. We were getting right fucking to it. So. We were squeezing the gourds. Have we explained what we're doing in October yet? Probably not. We should do that now since I think this releases the last weekend of September. This will release the last Friday of September. So you guys, we have a surprise for you. Starting October 1st, we're going to have, and don't get too excited until I finish explaining it, we're going to have an episode a day. Clutch your pearls, <laughs> well, because it sounds awesome, and then you're like, oh. Oh, that's it? But no, I mean, it's cool, but we're going to have an episode a day every day in October. However, they're going to be mini episodes that are one to 20 minutes long. If you know the definition of mini, then I you'll don't. enjoy it. <laughs> I did two really, really short ones, too, that oh. are like 10 seconds. So <laughs> basically, during the month of October, we're going to release an episode every single day that are anywhere from 10 seconds to 100 minutes long. <laughs> what the fuck? There are many episodes. Oh, my Lord. Based on how much research we kept doing because we don't know how to stop sometimes. Okay. And, and. because Halloween is both of our Favorite holidays. Yes. Sue Haley came to me one day and she's like, how about an episode a day? And I was like, no, that's insane. She goes, let me finish. Okay. I don't <laughs> I don't like letting people finish. <laughs> you also don't like content. I, I don't like a lot of things. <laughs> I don't like following instructions. Nope. You don't like, know what a small tattoo is. You don't know what a mini episode is. You don't know a lot I of said, things. I said, do you mind if I get a big tattoo? And you said, do whatever you want. Anyway. <laughs> So we're going to do anything that's like spooky or creepy or weird in the state of Florida. Yes. We're still going to bring you the two regular episodes yes. during the month of October. And we have a lot of fun stuff planned. I don't know about doing. fun because I did research tonight and I don't. The first thing we did was fun as shit. <laughs> yes. The second one, not so much. No. And then I was looking at Halloween Horror Nights, and I don't know how I feel about it right now. It's going to be beyond fucking awesome. That's what I'm scared of. And then you decided to go find that place in the middle of the woods that has scarier shit than Halloween Horror Nights. What the fuck is wrong with me? I don't know. I talk a big game. <laughs> but anyway, so we're doing stuff. We'll discuss it on the podcast. Get ready for October. We got something coming at you every single day. Yes, it's going to be fun. For now, though... Let's go back to this episode. Okay. Hey, Renee. <laughs> hey, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what the fuck is my response to that supposed to be? Hey, Renee. Hey, yes. Who the fuck does that? You just did. You know how many people in my life have gone, hey, Renee? I've never said, hey, yes. The fu- I got very excited because I yes, knew what question was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask again. I don't know. It's like I I've never to, recorded I'll, a podcast before. I get to talk now? Like, what the? That I was wanted to be that way when someone asked you to marry them. Yes! <laughs> never getting married again. <laughs> All right. Hey, Renee. Yeah? You ready to squeeze that juice? I sure am. Let's go. All right. Brevard County is located on the east coast of Florida. Some of the well-known cities in Brevard are Melbourne, Palm Bay, Titusville, not Titusville. That's my favorite was Titusville. I know. Titties, titties, titties. Merritt Island and Cocoa Beach. And of course, you have the Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral. So it's often referred to as the Space Coast. Yep. In fact, did you know that the 321 area code used in Brevard County is used because it's also the countdown for shuttle launches? 
That's so cheesy. <laughs> Thanks, Florida. <laughs> but come on. Like, they're like, what should our area code be? Oh, it's 321 because of Kennedy. Because we lack originality. <laughs> I think it's adorable. Okay. On Tuesday, May 14th, 2013, a maintenance worker was on his way to check a Verizon cell phone tower out in Miko, Florida, when he realized he had to pee. <laughs> Since he was in a remote, deserted area, he stopped his truck and got out. Looking around while he took care of business, he noticed that there were some skeletal remains in a nearby ditch. Nope. I'm out. Fuck the pissing. I'll just piss right on myself. I gotta go. Assuming it was the remains of some large animal, he went to investigate. Once he realized there was a human skull, he called 911. The fuck did he thought it was a fucking chupacabra? I don't... He thought it was like a dick. I don't... He just saw some bones and stuff. And he's like, you know, like the guy in the middle of the woods. What the fuck? Bones and like, you know, you know how guys do. They go investigate. Nah, fuck that. The responding officers questioned the maintenance worker. He admitted to them right away that he wasn't even supposed to be in the area. Which they were like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Hold up. Let's ask you some more questions. This fucking guy. <laughs> Oops. My bad. You're going to get fired. <laughs> the company he worked for required him to do scheduled service checks on the towers every six months. But he had last been at this tower three months before. So why was he there again so soon? He likes that tower. That's his favorite tower. (laughs) Turns out his story checks out, though. He was in the area responding to a call about another tower, and he figured he'd just cross this one off his list so he doesn't have to come back for a while. Which I thought was pretty smart. I bet he learned his fucking lesson. We'll be doing that shit again. (laughs) Do not get ahead of yourself and do more in the job than you're asked. Don't do that. Don't ever do more than what you're asked for at work. They'll just expect more of you in the future. Just fucking enough. Has never gotten anybody promotion. Nope. Find dead bodies and shit. (laughs) (laughs) We're kidding. Do awesome at work. All right. No, don't. Okay. Make sure my Starbucks people don't listen to this episode. Don't give it your 110%. Give me my 110% coffee. Nah. All right. I can't even drink coffee anymore. It's so fucking sad. I had such good fucking coffee today. Oh, Jesus I'm Christ. I'm really mad at you it right now. so good. Meanwhile, crime scene investigators were down in the ditch. The skeletal remains included a torso, legs, arms, a skull, and a mandible. They determined that there was blunt force trauma to the skull, and the arms and legs appeared to have been cut off with a saw. There was also a pacemaker on the ribcage. Oh, fuck. The other evidence of the scene included black plastic trash bags with and without duct tape and a red bed sheet. The trash bags contained more remains and the bed sheets tested positive for blood. So basically everything you could find in aisle seven of Walmart. Um, yes. I know the name of the store they went to. It wasn't Walmart. But what a shame because Walmart really I is know. like a murder capital of the world. <laughs> That's where you buy you all your murder supplies. There. You exactly. and I did a, a wedding dance and we got all the wedding supplies we need. <laughs> Remember when I told the guy that I, I wanted the um uh was it the tablecloth or the curtain aisle? Yes. But I I motioned like putting veil? something over my head, like a veil. We planned an entire fucking wedding at the Walmart. And then when I was like, and the flowers for the wedding. <laughs> We're a fucking, like, we're just trash. We really are trash. And the guy just looked at you and he's like, I don't speak English. He said it in Spanish. Yeah. And he just asked you to translate. And I'm sure you didn't say what I said. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't. Why was she asking for a tablecloth over her cabeza? I don't know. She's weird. <laughs> okay. I know five words in Spanish. Cabeza is one of them. Cabeza is one of them. <laughs> I can't continue. So once they found these trash bags in the bed sheet, it was pretty obvious, obvious that they were looking at a possible homicide. 
No? You sure it's not suicide? Well, it could be like somebody was walking, fell in the ditch, couldn't find any help, blah, blah, blah. Like, it could have been an accident. They like, cut their own a- arms and legs off, put themselves neatly in a plastic trash bag. I mean, and so the here's tape. the thing. Sometimes people freak out with accidental deaths oh, and do stupid shit. Okay. But most of the time, something like this is going to be a homicide, yes. Mm, okay. Okay. And plus, police officers, you should know this, you are one. They also like to use words like probable and, you know, not definite, like, That's right. I can get in trouble for saying the wrong thing. No words. black and white, all no, gray you area guys are like all doctors, the time. too. That's right. I, I won't tell you the results until... This way I can't get sued. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Things are better when people used to talk to you like they weren't afraid of being sued. No. You could get a doctor to give you an honest answer. Nope. I was going to say something about cops being honest, but I thought that would be too. Yeah, just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. After transporting all the evidence to the lab, the medical examiner determined that the remains were of a 60 to 80 year old woman. The skull was fractured due to multiple blows to the head with a blunt object. Oh, no, Marge. No, her name was um, Maureen. Oh, damn good. Spoiler. You were really close. Barb. (laughs) Imprints on the skull were similar to those made with a hammer. The company of the pacemaker was contacted and the identity of the woman was revealed. The body was Maureen V. Riccio, a 70-year-old woman from Brooklyn, New York. No, no. What? Really? Brooklyn? I know. We're all over in New York in this episode. <sighs> it's going to trigger you. Oh, my God. That reminded me of my case The sense when they uh, pulled up the girl and they identified her by her implants. Yeah. They identified this one by the pacemaker. It's fucking awesome. I know. Murderers cut out shit like that. No, that means that we need to get something installed in us. I want to be discovered. That's true. Faster. I want to get a tattoo of a toe tag, like the morgue toe tag, on the bottom of my foot with all my information on it. <laughs> Return to sender? <laughs> so that I know how to identify my body, because what are the chances that my murderer is going to be looking at the bottom of my feet? Unless he has a foot fetish. <laughs> or if he listens to my podcast. Hour. <laughs> Hours? Hour podcast. Thank Sorry. you. Okay. I'm here too. Hi. Sit down. <laughs> All right, the data from the pacemaker was able to give even more information. It placed the time of death somewhere between March 20th to March 27th, 2013. The pacemaker also showed that there was movement after death on three different dates, April 3rd, May 14th, and May 15th. May 14th was the day the body was found and transported, and May 15th was the day the pacemaker was sent out for analysis. So what happened on April 3rd, especially if she died between March 20th to 27th? Animals were eating her. Nobody ever answers that question. I just did. But no, animals didn't move the body. And here's the thing. If you know the pacemaker was moved on the specific dates, like, why isn't it not able to give the time of death? Like, they looked at it, and they were Mm -hmm. like, there was a spike here, and then everything stopped here. And why wasn't that date more accurate? True. I don't know. All right. So I couldn't find too much information about Maureen. She was born in 1942 when she was 18, and... she was born at 18, huh? I, I mistook a period for a comma. <laughs> that was a big baby. <laughs> the mat was big. Shit. <laughs> Ouch. Ow. Ow. Can I get a couple of stitches in there? <laughs> she was born in 1942. Period. When she was 18, she married 37-year-old Thomas Riccio. I keep saying Riccio. It's Riccio. Their daughter, Christine, was born shortly after, and six years later, their son, Frank, was born. In 1970, the couple decided to separate, 
But Maureen didn't want to be a mom, so she left the kids with Thomas's sister and took off. Well, you know, fuck them kids. And that's what she said. <laughs> I don't know much about Christine either, but Thomas Francis Riccio, a.k.a. Frank, moved out of the house at 16. He dropped out of high school and started working full time. In 1984, he began dating Eileen Lazar. Growing up without a mother was hard for him. So what he wanted most in life was to build a strong family of his own. In 1995, they had their first child, Andrea, who was followed by their sons, Francis Jr. and Thomas. Nothing good ever comes from naming a kid, Jr. I'm just saying. Now, just to recap, Grandpa's name was Thomas. Dad's name is Francis Thomas. And his son's names are Francis Thomas, and Thomas. 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 <laughs> Thomas, Francis Thomas, and Francis and Thomas. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. All the girls had different names, so we I don't guess care about the women them. were original. Eh, I don't fucking know. whatever. But yeah, these are the names in this family. Oh my god. In 2012, Frank heard that his mother was suffering from a lot of health issues and that she was being shuffled around from facility to facility. Despite the fact that she abandoned him as a child, Frank believed he had a duty to care for his biological mother. He picked her up from a senior living facility in New York, and the whole family moved to Tallahassee, Florida. Not long after that, the family moved to Melbourne. Eileen told the property manager that they wanted to see how the living situation would work out because they believed that Maureen needed to be cared for by family. They paid the first and last month's rent up front as well as the $100 pet deposit for their dog and signed a six-month lease. You know damn well I tried to find more information about that dog but couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) No deep dives here. But it was quickly apparent that things were not working out the way everyone had hoped. Frank met one of his neighbors, and they became friendly. They would sit in the front yard and talk. Frank admitted to the neighbor that his mother was crazy in the head, and that she was too much for him to handle. Maureen had been diagnosed as a manic-depressive paranoid schizophrenic. Oh! She was on 12 different medications four times a day. My girl! Is that... Really, how much meds, or do you think they were uh, exaggerating? The daughter they were exaggerating a little bit, yes. Yeah, I thought so. The daughter yes. was in an inner... So, this was on Snapped, and the daughter-in-law here was was interviewed for most of Snap. That sounds like a lot. Okay, so it, it wasn't Because I don't many. even fucking take that many. Yeah, it seemed exaggerated. Frank and Eileen had no experience with any kind of mental health issues. The family tried to make her feel welcome and comfortable, but the situation at home was extremely chaotic. At this point in the investigation, no one knows any of this yet. They're trying to find out where Maureen has been and who she's been with. They learn that Maureen was discharged to her son from the senior living facility in New York. Upon her release, the home provided her with a check for $14,369.54, which was the remaining balance from money in her account at the facility. Investigators learn that the check was cashed by Maureen and her son in Tallahassee, Florida. I liked that they gave the exact amount. So down I to gave the it pennies. To, down to the penny. Shit. Because they were able to like, that's how they found out the Tallahassee, they were looking for the um, check numbers, whatever. But yeah. Jesus. A special agent on the case decided to call the social security office and got the biggest lead yet. Maureen had gone into the office with her son on January 3rd, 2013 and changed her address to a house in Melbourne. She was getting $700 a month. She told them that she was going to be living with her son until he could find a place for her to live. The Social Security office also informed the agent that the last four of her checks had not been cashed yet. I thought it was really cool that like, like it's, it's, it's common sense for them because they do it all the time. But like, oh, she's old. Let's call the Social Security office and see if they have a lead on her. Like, 
that's shit that, that I wouldn't have even thought of, but it's so common sense once you hear it. True, except that when a lot of people go missing and they, they have like an outstanding warrant, a lot of the times cops just stop looking because eventually they're going to file for social security and you can't receive social security with an active warrant. So most people turn themselves in to get that warrant served. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> social security department finding all the absconders. <laughs> like true law enforcement officers. <laughs> <laughs> So based on this information, the Brevard County Sheriff's Office was able to obtain a search warrant for the home in Melbourne. They met the property owner at the home, who told them that the family left in the beginning of April. The family, who had never been late on a rent payment and had even once asked about purchasing the home, was late paying their April rent. When the property manager left them a note about it, Frank and Eileen went over to her house and explained to her that they were in a bit of a financial situation and asked for additional time to pay rent. But... On April 5th, they left town without a word. On April 13th, Eileen sent an email to the property manager saying that Frank's father had suddenly passed away and they wouldn't be returning to the home. The email apologized and said that the property manager could sell or throw away anything they had left behind. Officers also interviewed neighbors. They spoke to the man who had befriended Frank. At the end of March, Frank had told him that his mother had just taken off. But later, he asked the neighbor if he knew of any way he could cash his mother's social security checks without her being there. Jesus Christ. Why would you ask that? Because you're stupid. Oh, Lord. Okay. Continue. Because you and I had a beer once, so I got to ask you these questions. Fucking Frank Thomas Thomas Thomas. The neighbor told him no, and he didn't want to get involved. Get the fuck off my porch. And then the neighbor told him that on April 3rd, 2013, and if you remember, this is the date that the pacemaker showed, mm-hmm. the, the movement after the body was dead. On that day, the neighbor said that he saw an unknown person drop Frank off at home. Later that afternoon, he saw Frank backing up the van to the front door of the house as the family started packing things into the van. Frank told him that his father was dying, they had to go to New York, and that he'd be back in two weeks. Okay, so again, taking you out of the episode because I'm like, he just pulled the van and backed it right up to the front door? That's fucking genius. (laughs) It was a rental house. What does he give a shit about the flowers? You just back your fucking car right up to the front door. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how I'm moving from now on. I'm going to have the movers just back the fucking All the way in? Right up to that. Oh, break it. Fucking getting so excited about this. I'm hitting the mic. I just want to move that bat out of this house. That's what it is. And I'm going to pull the fucking car right into the house. Right into the house. Right in, fucking open up the wall. Right into the just, second living room. Yes, please. <laughs> second living room. <laughs> the property owner allowed the officers into the home to search it. He told them that he had already disposed of everything that was left behind and that he was making some renovations for new tenants to move in. He told them also about the damages and missing items in the home. Among the missing items were a ceiling fan in the southwest bedroom four doorknobs, a shower head, and two sets of window blinds. Yo, what the fuck? (laughs) There was also a hole in the wall of the northwest bedroom, and the bathtub drain was corroded. Crime scene investigators applied Blue Star chemical reagent in the rooms. This is a chemical that tests for traces of blood. For all you true crime fans out there wondering, I looked it up, and it's like luminol, but better. Like, way better. Beautiful. Yeah. The northwest and southwest bedrooms tested positive for blood. They said that the paint job was really bad because they just painted over everything. They'd painted over outlets and floorboards. But there was- <laughs> well, they didn't fucking hire professionals. They did not. But there was still like blood on the edges of the outlets and stuff. <laughs> Jesus. 
And the floor was all scrubbed up and just had a new coat of wax, nice. like right on top of it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The Florida police decided to team up with the police in New York and asked them to interview Frank and Eileen. I'm sure those two got along swell. They seemed to. I don't think so. I have nothing in this report about anything going bad. I'm sure they were talking shit about each other. Uh, Fuck them well. Yankees. The but stupid Southerners. You know, the normal typical shit. Florida's different. Florida's <laughs> not like your typical Southern state. Oh, okay. No, we got all the fucked up crazy here. Not just like the Southern Baptist or the whatever you think of. When, hey, I got some in my family. I can make fun of them. It's the swamp people. But we got everything. <laughs> <laughs> we got people coming in from the south, from the north, from the east, from the west. We're just getting we fucking attacked. Everything. Everything. The other, the, we call Florida melting pot for a reason. Okay. Okay. We're not like the other southern states where you've got like one or two type of people. We got them all. Okay. So anyway, they they had a Florida cop with a New York accent call them. What? You're like, oh. yo! <laughs> Florida police decided to team up with the police in New York and ask them to interview Frank and Eileen. But they asked him to treat it like a missing persons case at first, just to see what the two would say. Frank and Eileen were interviewed separately. Mm-hmm. When they interviewed Eileen, she tells them about how they wanted to care for Maureen and how they had gone out of their way to make her feel welcome and comfortable. Soon after she moved in, they realized that she was hard to handle and would become argumentative and difficult when she didn't take her meds. They tried to get her back into an assisted living or mental health facility, but they were denied. In fact, they were told that if they dropped her off, they would be sued for negligence. Jesus. They weren't the only ones frustrated. Maureen was also very vocal about not wanting to live with them. On March 27th, Eileen went to give Maureen her meds after dinner and discovered that Maureen had just left. She had taken her wallet and $1,000. She was last seen at 9.30 p.m. wearing navy blue jogging pants with a white stripe, a black or blue half sleeve top, and flip-flops. How many people just have $1,000 laying around they could just grab and take and go? She's old. Most old people keep cash. Okay. When police ask why they didn't report her missing, Eileen tells them that she had left on her own accord. She had money. She had income from her social security checks. Besides, Maureen had always been the type of person who would just go from one place to another. Okay. They actually figured that she'd come back, but they had to leave Florida when they found out a family member was sick in New York. The story's unraveling. During Frank's interview, he tells them that his mother became very hard to handle and began causing problems with the family. She'd go on all day and all night. She'd flip out, throw things at them, hurt herself, and scratch or punch them. He was preparing to send her back to New York. She was becoming more and more verbally abusive and was threatening to leave. She was constantly complaining, saying she wanted to leave, she couldn't stand the heat, she couldn't stand the bugs. Sounds about right. All the Florida complaints. One night, she was flipping out and starting up. He opened the front door and just told her to leave. She did. He let her walk right out and hasn't seen her since. And he never reported her missing and said that he wouldn't say anything else without a lawyer. After the initial interviews, police decided to tell him that they had found Maureen's body and had evidence that it happened in the house. Eileen became emotional and started crying. She told them that she and her children weren't responsible. They basically told her that she needed to tell them the truth so she wouldn't spend the rest of her life not being able to raise her own kids because she was behind bars. So she tells them that on that night, Maureen had thrown a plate at her and Frank got really upset. He told Eileen that wasn't going to happen again and to take the kids into the bedroom. Then Frank started arguing with Maureen. In the bedroom, Eileen turned the radio volume all the way up so the kids wouldn't hear what was happening, but she could still hear some of it. 
Maureen was saying things like, I hate you and I wish you were never born. And Frank was yelling back, shut up and you're ruining my family. It got louder and louder until suddenly there was silence. 20 minutes later, Frank went into the bedroom and just sat down and started rocking on his knees saying, I'm sorry, God forgive me, I didn't mean it. She went and looked in the other room and saw bloodshed. Everything was red. The walls, the blinds, the ceiling fan, the bedspread. Marlene was on the floor with a gaping hole in her head. In her shock, she said she thought that maybe if they just went to bed, everything would be better in the morning. What like the a bad fuck? dream. Saying fucking Disney? I wrote, spoiler, it wasn't better in the morning. I, I don't think so. <laughs> we were watching the show tonight. Yeah. Somebody said maybe it'll be better in the morning. I'm like, no, it's nope. never better in the morning. Nope, but sure not. Never. <laughs> but she was in shock, and I get that. I mean, have you ever done something and you're like, I'm just going to sleep, it'll be better when I get up? She said the kids had no idea what was going on. Maureen would sleep 12 to 15 hours a day anyway and liked being alone in her room. Frank admitted to her that he used a hammer to kill her, and so they just put a bed sheet over her body. The next morning, they drove the kids to school and then drove to a store where they purchased a circular saw, trash bags, tape, cleaning solution, and two tarps. They used one of the tarps as a shield while Frank used a saw to cut up the body. Eileen says that he blindfolded her so she wouldn't have to see anything, but that she's still tormented by the sound she heard. She was also getting splattered with bone chips, and that's when it all became surreal for her, and that's the part that haunts her the most. You can fuck right off with that sentence. They put everything into black plastic bags and taped them shut. The next day, Frank put all the bags in the back of his truck and left. When he returned home, they cleaned the house. She admitted to cleaning the room with bleach and waxing the floor. Not very good. Frank told her that he had gotten rid of the hammer and the saw. After he, should, he should have just fucking returned it. <laughs> well, I'm done with this. I saved my receipt. Don't mind the blood. I need that cash back. <laughs> so while Maureen's telling the officers all this, mm -hmm. Frank's still sitting in the other interview room. So he tells officers that he wants to tell them the whole story and he no longer wants a lawyer. They're like, you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm just going to tell you what happened. So he says... Eileen had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was all him. On March 27th, Maureen slapped his wife and he was arguing with her. She started flipping out. She started taking her clothes off and hitting him. Okay. He'd had a few drinks that night and the pressure was so intense and he was so angry that he grabbed the hammer that was on the air conditioning unit and he hit her in the head. In his rage, he continued hitting her in the head with the hammer. He placed her body in the closet till he could figure out what to do. Later, he put her in a cooler, but the smell was so strong that he knew he'd have to move her. He decided to use a circular saw to dismember her so that he could place her in the plastic bags. He backed his truck into the backyard and up to the window of the room. Again, this guy. <laughs> I'm like, He's efficient. It's kind of fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> he then loaded the bags into the truck and put a box spring mattress over the bags to conceal them. He then drove to a remote location and threw everything into a ditch. He described the area as looking like a dumping ground already, as there were several tires, the large TV, and other junk there. Sure, it wasn't no fucking bodies, but I... I know. Oh, which, by the way, when they were, like, bagging up all the shit for the... They're, like, bagging up trash and shit that wasn't even a part of the investigation. Because when you go to a crime scene, you take, everything. You take everything. Yep. So they took, like, all the shit. Yeah. Uh, when he returned home, he removed all the items that had blood on them. The ceiling fan, the door handles, all that stuff mm -hmm. that was missing. 
He then cleaned up with bleach, painted the rooms, and threw the saw into a nearby river, but he wasn't able to tell police what river he threw the saw into. Okay, weirdo. Yeah. So Francis Riccio and Eileen Lazar are arrested and brought to Florida for trial. The prosecution made a deal with Eileen, and she agreed to testify against Frank, but Frank ended up taking a plea deal himself, so that didn't end up happening. In the end, Frank takes the plea deal of count one, second-degree murder, 25 years, followed by a probation for a period of life. Uh, No, but okay. Count two, abuse of a deadly body, 15 years to be served concurrent with the previous sentence. So he gets 25 years with 824 days credit for time served. He's expected to be released in 2036 at the age of 69. And then he'll be on probation for the rest of his life. Which hopefully will be two fucking days. Want him to die at 69? Not not really, but I mean, Jesus, really? Eileen also takes a plea deal. During the investigation, police found out that she had pawned the saw and a bunch of other items after the murder. That was close! (laughs) Plus, she had admitted to helping Frank hide the murder. We need gas money. Gotta get the fuck out of here. They did. They they sold their truck for, I think, $1,500. Fuck these gators. They they got as much money as they could and they fucking took off. She takes the plea deal of count one, accessory after the fact, five years. Count two, tampering with physical evidence, five years to be served concurrent with the previous sentence. So it's five years with the credit of the 923 yep. days time served. She's out in four years and seven months. Yep. And he did it so she could go back to the kids. So I got my research from the from two sources i got my research from the affidavit for the arrest mm-hmm. and um i also got research from the show snapped mm. no yeah it was snapped killer couples i like that one actually yeah so everything i read to most of it was from the court transcript mm-hmm. the, the the arrest affidavit because i figured it was the most factual um, so what wasn't in there, but what was on the show was at one point police were thinking that the motive was entirely financial. Yep. You know, they had taken her out of the mental hospital. They knew that they'd get almost $15,000 mm-hmm. plus 700 a month, a month, all of that. Um, so they were thinking everything was financial, which would have worked if they had not had those three outstanding checks unsigned and uncashed. Well, because she was already dead. Exactly. Right. So it couldn't have been financial. Well, but but could it have been financial? Because remember, once she was dead, they couldn't pay the rent anymore. Shit, true. Yeah. That's why they weren't able to pay the rent. And they had to be like, oh, we're having financial problems. We need more time with the rent. And then they just took off. Yeah. They tried to sell as much stuff as they could. Like, she she, she pawned a bunch of stuff. They sold the truck, um, all this stuff. So, also on the show Snapped were their two sons. Okay. So, one of them was like... I hope my dad's getting the help he needs in prison. You know, I'll I'll see him when he gets out. Like, he seemed very much to, you know, my dad's getting help and he'll come back reformed and we'll love him and welcome him. He didn't say it in those words, but that was like the feeling, the tone of his words and everything. I didn't write down his exact words. The other son was basically, he will never be forgiven. I saw what happened. He so he says, was the older one. The older son yep. says he saw what happened. And he goes, my dad was brutal. He was big and he was strong and he just beat on her. And everything says, you know, the kids were so scared of, of grandma because grandma was so abusive. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Turns out, according to, to this theory, dad was super abusive and an alcoholic and was horrible to everybody. And he snapped and killed him, his mom. So you've got the motive could be money. The motive could be that he was just an abusive drunk mm-hmm. and everybody was sticking up for him. Eileen's on the show. And at the very end, she's like, you know, now our lives have never been better. We're a happy family. We're doing this and this and this. We've never been so free. And now she never alluded to any abuse, but the way that she said we are free now. is a very telling word. Was very telling. Absolutely. She made the entire thing, like, I think maybe she's scared of him getting out one day. Hell yeah. And so she never said anything bad about him. Nope. But when you look at her in those last scenes, she seems like somebody who has gotten a lot of help and is her own fucking person now. And is better for everything that she's been through. She's like, I'm stronger now. I'm free now on this and this and this. And I'm like. But she's still teeter-tottering. She's still teeter-tottering. And choosing her words very very carefully. carefully. Yep. Very. So I'm like, everything that the case is centered on is he snapped because he wasn't prepared to deal with somebody with those kind of mental health issues. It's a lot. It is. And that's probably not what he signed up for, I guess. He figured, just like you said, you know, we're going to get her check. We're going to, you know, move down to Florida where it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be fine. They get down here and he realizes it's not as easy right. as he thought it was going to be. Right. Because he thought she had health pro- He knew she had health problems. Mm-hmm. He heard the words of the diagnosis. But a lot of people don't know what that means. So, no. and she wasn't taking her meds and she was refusing to take her meds. I was just meds. about to say, she's not taking her meds. So she's mm-hmm. totally, you know, totally unmedicated. You know, she's not talking to a therapist, so she's just out there loosey-goosey, mm-hmm. you know. So, of course, he doesn't know how to handle... If he didn't know how to handle her before that, that just triggered it and made it worse. Mm-hmm. Because what is a manic-depressive, paranoid, schizophrenic like when they're not on their meds? Exactly. They're loose... They're, they're you know, a ticking time bomb. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it was... She did something and he just, he finally, you know, like for a better phrase, he finally snapped. He said, I'm fucking done. Mm-hmm. And what may have started out as just a simple, like, I don't want to say simple. That's such a horrible word. But, you know, I'm pretty sure that he struck her and then he realized he fucking took it too far and it was already too late. Well, he grabbed the hammer. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you know, even if he hit her the first time. You know, and she was still out of it or unconscious or whatever. He realized what he did and he figured, I need to finish this off. Mm-hmm. So. And you've got three different stories. So you've got his, I did it all alone. Nobody saw anything. Nobody helped me. Everything like that. You've that got, was for the wife's benefit. Yes. You've got her saying, he told us to go into the bedroom. I turned the radio up and I kept the kids from realizing what was going on. And then you've got the older that. son saying that him and his sister, he said the sister too, because me and my sister saw the whole thing. The wife's version was to paint a better picture of him so he wouldn't get the death penalty. Yeah. Because we're in Florida. So they were just protecting each other. I mean, and I'm pretty sure that the truth is somewhere down the middle. Yeah. But that's exactly what she was doing was covering for him. There's a lot of people on the internet that are like, she was scared of him. She did everything oh, yeah. because she was scared. And and again, like... If she witnessed that, think about it. Is. That's his mom. And he did that to her. So imagine what he would have done to her if she would have done the same. Oh, well, the, the oldest son said on the show, too, he goes, if she didn't help him, there would have been two dead bodies. Exactly. Like, that That oldest son is like, I will never forgive him. Like, it, it seemed super abusive 
just by the last minute of the show. Before that, no sign of it. But that last minute of the show, you're like, oh, completely different take on this case. I hate when the shows do that shit. Like, don't throw well, in. Because there's no proof. I know, but don't throw in an, another theory at the very yeah. end. Well, like, I just did it too. Because <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> well, we can also <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so so here's the thing. And, and here's why I wanted to do this case is... You and I are huge proponents of mental health. Mm -hmm. And you and I are huge proponents of knowing that there needs to be more education on it out there so that people are are more aware. And also so that there's not this stigma of, no, people don't need med. They just need to get over it. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of these things like schizophrenia or, you know, bipolar or... Um, well, she was manic depressive, but a lot of these things like, no, 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 there's a chemical imbalance in the brain. Yep. It's proven by science. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Just get the meds so that- Meds, a little cognitive therapy goes a long way. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, you know, educating the families of these people is, is I think, even, even more important. I was about to say, I mean, think about it. He, obviously he had mom issues, right? Because she abandoned them. Yeah. So- Obviously, he had abandonment issues of his own that he never got therapy for. Right. And then, you know, here he is as a grown ass man with, you know, a wife and kids. And he's trying to, I mean, I know at some point he must have tried to have some kind of relationship with her, right? Like, you know, we're going to move down to Florida and we're going to start over again. Mm-hmm. But by that point, if he was already an alcoholic, if he was already abusive, you know, which we don't know. That was true. No, and that's what I'm saying. But yeah. at the same time, if those things were true, and he, you know, obviously he wasn't doing therapy or treatment, then of course this was bound to happen. It was just you know a cauldron bubbling until it rose to the surface. Something was bound to fucking give, mm-hmm. and it was either going to be his mother or it was going to be the wife. At some point, something was bound to give. Yeah, because he was a ticking time bomb too. Yeah. Oy. Okay. Yeah, it's a rough one. Yep, it's a rough one. If they want to find this, where are they going? Oh, you can go to our website, fstcpod.com, which has links to all of our social media, um, our sponsors, our merch, um, show notes, stuff like that. Yes. Something else that I'm forgetting. (laughs) Oh, donation. Donation links. We got our first donation the other day. So thank you to that anonymous sponsor. I don't want to be like the other podcasts and throw out people's names. No. Because I'm like, and they say first and last name. And I know some people are okay with that. But also, I'm in so many anonymous groups. that I'm just like, no names. (laughs) No names. No names. Thank you, donor. But thank you to our sponsor. You can find us on social media. Go to Facebook and search for Freshly Squeezed True Crime on Twitter. We are FS True Crime on TikTok and Instagram. We're FSTC Pod. And I believe that's it. So, Haley, do we squeeze something? What do we do with you? Uh, yeah, this is a regular episode. So, may the juice be with you. Bye. Bye.